Want to hear more? Follow us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, or check out slutsandscholars.com. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, where we talk smart and fuck smarter. I'm Nicoletta. I'm Simone, and we are joined this week by my dear friend, Kieran Gandhi. You might know her as Madam Gandhi. She's an electronic music artist and activist based in Los Angeles. She gained recognition as the former drummer for MIA while she was attending Harvard Business School, BT Dubs, uh, and Kilani, and as the iconic free bleeding runner at the 2015 London Marathon. Madam Gandhi now writes music that elevates and celebrates the female voice. Ooh, welcome. Thank you. I like the introduction that you guys did about the name Sluts and Scholars. That's funny. Talk smart, <laughs> fuck you. smarter. Yeah. Or fuck smart, talk smarter. Yeah. <laughs> I think you came up with that because originally it was making your sex smart and your smart sexier. Mm-hmm. But yours is But then a, we just got like, right down to it. Yeah. Talk smart, fuck smarter. Well, I would love to get right to it because I know in preparation for the podcast, and I even noticed myself feeling uncomfortable when I said it, you you speak out a lot against using the word slut, and we would love to talk with you about that, yeah, where that comes from. I think in general, I'm, I've never been a proponent of the belief of reclaiming certain words that have already been used in an oppressive way. Mm-hmm. I find it difficult. Like, even right now— Like in- queer— I suppose, I mean, maybe that's a good example of the counter because I definitely use the word queer. Um, I love the word queer. Yeah, so I guess that's a good that's a good fork in my argument. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, I definitely use the word queer. I identify as queer. I find it liberating. Um, but mm. the word slut feels like objectifying female sexuality with the without the ability for us to enjoy and step into our own sexuality. It feels like... Um, the second that we do that, then we are named these types of words because somebody else can't control our sexuality. It's like the second that we mm-hmm. are enjoying it or empowered by it or loving it or, or um, living in accordance with our own sexual desires, society doesn't like it anymore. You know, they're not interested in our sexuality anymore. Right. And, so and so in using these it words can, get used. So like when we self-identify, you feel like we are like bringing that trauma, oppression back onto us as opposed to kind of creating a new way to describe our liberated, empowered sexuality? I think it sounds like um, defeatist. It sounds like, yeah, I am I am that, huh. but an accepting accepting of the oppression and saying, yeah, I am that. Uh, I, I own that I'm slutty as opposed to like, I own that I like to fuck. Like I own that I like pleasure. I own that I enjoy sleeping with people. You know, it just, it doesn't sound- Which is interesting because when I say that to my- self like I'm a slut or whatever I define it as exactly what you no, just I understand. said obviously that's why I'm sitting here yeah and I love that and I'm I like, get it I understand cerebrally what you're trying to do I totally. don't subscribe to the notion though of these words I think how do you feel about cunt I like that word I do because we think, met doing the vagina monologue no for together. sure I like Karen, that word which is awesome Karen's um, angry vagina and, I was the moaner. It was good. And you were very good at it. Um, I was going to say... I think Angry Vagina was the one that I did when I auditioned. Pantsless. Uh, yeah, pantsless in my undergrad. That's I amazing. I didn't get it. <laughs> I'm you not an actor. It. They, oh, they, they made a mistake. But what did I want to tell you? I wanted to tell you that um, even the word in, uh, in hip-hop culture right now or trap music or lyrics... I hear the N word used to describe men a lot, black men. Mm -hmm. And then I hear the B word used to describe 
women. Mm-hmm. And it's just become synonymous with a girl and a guy, nigga and bitch, these two words over and over again. And I don't know. I just, every time I hear either of those words, it like hits me in my stomach. Mm-hmm. I don't. Like you feel it viscerally. Yeah, it doesn't make me feel cool or nice or like empowered. It just sounds to me like we're part, it's like, it's like this patriarchy rewards us when we participate. They love mm-hmm. it. You mm-hmm. know, they love it. Like that's so great for them to have us use those words to describe ourselves. How perfect. Because that's you know? their goal. Yeah, it's not kind of like it's master's not tools will dismantle the house and we're using the tools that already exist. Yeah, sort it's of. a little bit of that. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think those words um, on a personal level, they just don't sound like uh, etymology-wise empowering. They sound degrading. Yeah. They do. Slut men's like slovenly woman, like dirty woman. Yeah, That's and I think you you laid out a good point that like maybe we feel more comfortable with other words that have been reappropriated potentially because of like the context around them, but like queer. Because mm. um, that still is for some people like, oh, you're a queer as like a negative thing. But now it feels like such a positive not for everyone though. When I was Not at for Pride, everyone, yeah. I marched at Pride with um with SAG AFTRA and um <clears throat> The, I was with the, the older man who had organized it. He was probably in his mm-hmm. 50s, and he had organized, like, our contingent. And we're walking, he goes, so are you a lesbian? And I say, I'm queer. And he's like, oh. And he, like, kind of shuddered. And he was like, yeah, you millennials, you love that word. He's like, I can't. I can't with that. That was hurled at me as an wow. insult, like, every fucking day of my elementary, middle school, and high school life. Wow. And so maybe there's also an element of, like, time passing. Where True. it becomes— Easier, like maybe slut in like forty years will mean what queer does. That's today. true. That's totally fair. Yeah, it's true. We would never. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. But it's uh, also for us like giving permission that we can disagree on that, and it doesn't necessarily. I don't want to say it doesn't matter because I want to help other people find their power. I, for sure, I it's like saying, when people get to, like don't like yeah. and feel comfortable when I use the word the, the phrase "the future is female" because. Mm. For me, I very much believe that that phrase is about valuing femininity in all of us, no matter what your gender identification is. And for me, it's about saying that I don't want to live in a world where masculinity is ranked above femininity. I want to live in a world where the two are truly on a spectrum so that no matter what organic mixture you are of those two energies, it doesn't correlate to some form of societal oppression. It's like liberated. But many of my friends in the trans community are sort of half and half, Men, many um, subscribe to my, my way of seeing that phrase. But I definitely have many who feel I should only be saying the future is feminine. Like it's not trans-inclusive. Sure, for sure. And I think that phrase is fine. It, to me, they mean the identical same thing. And I huh. think um, the phrase, the future is feminine, to me sounds awkward. And it doesn't sound... It sounds daintier. It sounds... Because no. I almost feel like your definition of femininity is... Empowered. Is empowered. And for so long, what is feminine is... Disempowered. Is soft. And not that soft is not empowered, but is much more, I guess, yeah, dainty and, and more malleable, But is that perhaps? because of the stigma that we've associated that feminine means dainty? For sure. For, for sure. sure. But I think, like I said, I think it just, it speaks to that, like, it's okay if you don't like a certain word to define yourself because it's your body. Totally. No, and it your is. life. It is. And I think this is why this conversation is always challenging be- in a totally. good way because I know my intention with using the phrase the future is female. And in fact, I believe that the trans community is actually 
the reason why we're able to even have a fourth wave feminist movement. Like the trans community's bravery is what allows all cis women to actually stand on two feet and fight for their own liberation. Yeah. And and so I understand that. So then it's tough for me when uh, even a, a, cl- a close friend of mine who um, uses the pronoun they, like doesn't feel comfortable with me using the phrase the future is female, but mm-hmm. but I don't change my 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 phrasing of it because it's the phrase existed before me and I'm reappropriating it for my generation. So I am taking the same strategy that you all are taking with the word slut. Mm. Um, so I, I recognize and acknowledge the, the complexity of that. Um, what do you say to, to that friend? Like, do you just hold space that you have different thoughts around yeah, it? I said exactly what I just said now, yeah, you know, yeah. which is that I actually believe that it's the trans community who has led this movement for many years about gender liberation. Uh Um, That for me, the future is female is about valuing femininity in all of us and about valuing emotional intelligence over brute force, starting Uh wars, my penis is bigger than yours type leadership. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and they didn't want to hear it. You know, they didn't want to hear it. And that conversation actually... I think also because the nature of that conversation wasn't open mm-hmm. and it felt closed energy, that also didn't inspire me to want to change. Mm-hmm. It didn't. I, there was not a reason enough in that conversation for me to feel like my intention was different than it was from the beginning of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And Do you believe that sex, like biological sex exists? That was another point, actually. They didn't believe that biological sex exists. But do you? I I mean I think I do yeah I because think I you're born see, with two like two genders so you think there's two sexes yes do you think but there's but there's a many gender genders spectrum. exactly okay so there's like there's biological sex which you feel is male female yes unless there's some sort of like um, intersex intersex right. one in yeah, one hundred people are yes. born intersex we had an interse- seven came on our podcast they're intersex that's cool um, it's as common as being a redhead that's amazing um, yeah. mine's fake anyway. Oh. <laughs> But you know, my or my as friend, a yellowhead. Yeah. My friend did You're the actually first tell me. I've met. That's dope. That's good. Let's keep it like that. Me and the Cardi B but record. When you explode, then every, you know everyone's going to be a yellowhead. I hope so. <gasps> yellow is a joyful color. Um, is that what we call your fans? Yellowheads. <laughs> so lame. It's not. Are they yellow are they so cute. Yellow bellies. Yellow belly. <laughs> I don't know. I like yellow. Be- I like all of it. Anything yellow related is joyful and makes me feel happy. But but the reason I ask you if you believe in biological sex or not is because what I'm having trouble making complete sense of. I understand cerebrally what you're trying to do um, with the future is female, truly meaning the future is feminine, and it's for the purpose of cadence or however it sounds. Um, but if you do believe that sex exists and you're using the word that we use to talk about biological sex, how, how do you reconcile of this that? conversation with you yeah. know that you distinguish between biological sex and gender? Well, here's a, a, here's a belief that I have, which also I think my friend who I had this tough conversation with didn't agree with from the beginning, mm-hmm. which is that femininity comes from like the, the most feminine you can get would be rooted in the fe- the feminine, the female, the anatomically female, the female archetype. And that inspires the rest of the gender spectrum in the same way the male anatomy and the male um, archetype inspires the rest of the gender spectrum towards the feminine. And so in that way, I find it appropriate to use the word female and to continue the phrase staying as it is, especially because 
I didn't come up with it, mm-hmm. but I want to reappropriate it for the needs of, of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and for like female energy. Yeah, and female energy. I mean, the female archetype is really what we're looking to, we're looking to for, for inspiration. How do you um, define it? Her. Emotionally intelligent, um, leading with care instead of competitiveness, com- collaboration instead of competitiveness. I always talk about a triangle. You know, I feel like the male energy is very like hierarchical driven with the point of the triangle facing upward, but the female energy is with the point of the triangle like facing downward. Um, huh? Dep- looks depending, like you're doing a pussy. Well, depending yeah, on, exactly, exactly. Depending on how you're looking at the and pussy. And it's a womb, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. Both you could be on top of it the other way. True, amen, <laughs> amen. is everywhere. I mean, I think no, it, I'd also hope that it would just spark a conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, I hope that people that are open to it, when they hear a controversial phrase, whether that be slut, whether that be futurist female, mm. that then they're open to have a dialogue and hear the context. No, and the whole irony of this conversation is that I just, um, I actually didn't go to boxing today. I went, um, and I was on the West Side, and I went to yoga instead. Mm. And my partner's the one who teaches the boxing class. And she always makes my day because she'll always put, like, super dope music. Sometimes she'll even play my own music in the class. Oh, I saw that Insta story. Yeah, it's so <laughs> that was sweet. adorable. But, but before we got together, she definitely would play a lot of the more aggressive like trap music and like massage like music with super misogynist lyrics and today she posted um someone else's video from the class and it was some aggressive trap song and so i hit her on text and i was like did you play your misogyny i call it her misogyny playlist i'm like did you play your misogyny playlist and i think she thought it was funny she was like 100 percent. she was like not karen approved and i was like i it wasn't attractive to me at all i was huh. i was i I shouldn't, I don't want to take it personally because it's actually not about me. It's not about not playing that music when I'm around. In fact, it would make more sense to play that music when I'm around because at least I know and can distinguish and protect myself from mm-hmm. the in- implication of those lyrics. But she's somebody who really values women power and really understands it and and embodies it and is one of the most respect, like self-respecting people I know, which is why I'm so attracted to her and so in love with her. Mm. And... I want, and and one thing I've been practicing is when I shut down to, instead of like shut down and like not talk to like pick up the phone and call and like work through it. And so I did call her, but she ignored my call. And so that's another thing. Like I never, I've always been someone who comes with love energy and logic. That's always what I say. Like I'm interested in love energy and logic as my tools for for having conversations. That's so interesting because when I hear those two things, I often think that they're separate. Like people say, think with your head or think with your heart. Right. But I think or it's even, a mixture. Even back to the, the male-female archetype that we're True. coming out. It's logic, a logic is very much, you know, Quote stereotypically of the male archetype. Of and the valued over what would be love energy. And, you know, we're right. just emotional in our periods. So no, exactly, right? <laughs> so they use that against us. But it's interesting. In the same way, my my friend who rubbed me, not rubbed me the wrong way, but didn't, didn't win me over with wanting to change my phrase, the future is female, mm-hmm. um... I don't want to make the mistake of having a conversation with somebody else and which dis- which uninspires them to want to change right. or to or to to like not do that. You know, everyone has to arrive at their decisions on their own. And so first of all, I felt hurt that she didn't answer the call because I feel like that's not safe as a partner. Like if your partner calls you and we rarely call each other during the day because we respect each other's like busy day. I feel like it's important to honor that call, especially when there's so much love and like good vibes between us. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's also important for me to figure out how do I make sure that like I'm communicating in a way that makes that person feel safe. So the first thing that I texted before I did even call was, you know what's best for your, the needs of your class, you know, but I do feel like there's so many incredible men, artists with dope 
beats, dope trap lyrics that would pump everybody up, but that don't perpetuate the oppression. Mm-hmm. And she wrote, okay, which was like, fuck off, basically. Well, I actually really empathize with what you are talking about as someone who um, cares very intensely about things. Yeah. And also, I, don't ignore my call. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know what? Like, and but you, no, no, because what happens is you tell somebody that you care about something, and you feel like you've done. A, you feel like the only reason somebody doesn't care about this thing that I care about is because they don't have the information, and mm. they're a smart person. And if I tell them about why I feel the way I feel, they'll understand. Mm. And so, why would they not behave that mm. way? And that's one of my biggest. Um, you know, relationship struggles, both romantic mm. and in friendships. That you can't make someone care about something that you care about. That you mm. care about. And it can be really, like, for me, one of those things is, like, um, uh, using cocaine. Like, that's, mm. like, a big, like— No-go. Painful thing for me just because of what I know about it. And then so, for me, uh, knowing that for some people that I love, it's, like, a it's a fun activity. Mm-hmm. And that no matter how many times I explain why it's unimportant, why it's— problematic for me. No, I just, I know what you mean. Like, it's just saying, like, you were saying, if you feel like you explain and get somebody to understand and empathize with why you feel that way, that you would hope that they would respect that and feel the same. Right. Um, and you don't, want her to, you, can, you don't want her to not play that music because you're there. Exactly. It's not about you me. You want her to care it's about, about her. Yeah. not she, playing the music. So I feel like, you know, I will definitely see her tonight, even though I feel pushed away. And when I feel like this, I always just want to go into my own Pisces bubble and not see anybody. But I feel like that's non-productive, and I feel like the biggest thing I can learn is actually having a tough conversation with someone who totally gets it mm. and would still be like blasé and wants to play that music anyway. That's a much harder conversation to have than with the opposite side of someone who like it does not have a feminist um, understanding or mm-hmm. or belief at all, or in fact would go all the way and like own their own sexism. Right. Because that's not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with someone who totally gets it and who has love energy for me and understands. But yeah, it's not about not playing that music because I'm not there. Right. It's about not playing that music because you're a woman. So as, a, as an awesome artist and musician, I'm guessing you've been approached by lots of diverse people. Have you been approached by people that you did have to turn down because of their message? Um, for sure, like people know. You mean like, like for collaboration? No, for sure. Yeah. I've experienced that plenty of times. I, for example, just now we shot the music video for Bad Habits, and the director chose a male DP. When I got the call that she wanted a male DP, my right hand Savannah, who was helping me put the whole thing together, was like, "Dude, it's not it's not cool to fuck with what the director wants. She wants this DP." I was like, no, I'm funding this video. I'm not going to be shot by a man. I'm not mm-hmm. interested in a man shooting my video. I'll wait till 2020 if you guys allegedly can't find a female DP. But that's exactly the point we're out here trying to prove because that's the excuse that yeah. everyone used over and over again. Yeah. That we're not um, able to find women. And that's yeah. just bullshit. And of course, in one hour, like in one day, they were able to find a really dope, talented female yeah. DP. So that's one example of me using my own power to be able to mm-hmm. live in the world that I want to live in and, and embodying the truth that I seek. And then maybe another example would be I got asked to be in um, to like wear a bunch of free clothes and get shot, like photographed by one of their photographers for their blog. And I love fashion. I love clothing all the time. So I love to rep that stuff. And it was— um, Especially yellow. Of course. I love <laughs> yellow. It's joyful. Um, so I love to rep. And it was a male and female clothing um, co- co-founder. But the photographer they were sending over to my house, um, I looked at his Instagram just to catch a vibe. I wasn't even looking for anything shady. I was actually just like kind of stoked on the sh- on the shoot. 
And everything was just like, like naked women and shit and like really basic ass objectifying photos of women. And I immediately called them. I was like, you can take your clothes back. I'm cool off all that. Wow. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's so important to you. I think that's really, I think it's really impressive that you're able to, I hate this expression, stick to your guns um, in that sense. Are you ever, do people react negatively? Are they ever like, ugh, feminist Kieran? Um, probably Michelle feels like that right now. You know, my boxer. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure she feels like that. I'm sure she feels yeah. like it's intrusive that the way I saw that she played the playlist was on Instagram and that I said something about it. You know, mm-hmm. that is intrusive. That's like, that's definitely, she can easily be like, you're the feminist police, you know? Right. But Like you for, can choose to care about every single thing every se- fucking second or I can just like let loose and play the playlist that right. I want. Yeah, totally. How, how do we balance that? Because I, I know for myself that I express certain ideals of what I feel like are important to me as a feminist or as a woman or whatever. And then I also, whether it's just cultural things like like songs or have memories of songs and different media that is like so not feminist um, and maybe harmful but I still like enjoy it as entertainment. Mm. And I wonder if there's a way to have space for both or if it just can't be. Because it does feel hypocritical. Yeah. Like when I like to go sing like Baby Got Back. That's her karaoke. karaoke song. And she's really fucking good at it. Or when I'm th- just thinking of like, like, I don't know, throwback playlists that have like, I don't know, like till the that sweat dropped out my balls, yeah. all these bitches, like what all, all yeah. that, those that you songs. you hear and you get pumped up. Yeah, which is like, totally yeah. saying these terrible things. No, but that's the that's the battle daily, right? That's what yeah. I talk about all the time. We're not out here trying to turn up to the sound of our own oppression, but I'm also not here how to tell other artists how to make their music. I'm here yeah. to try to create the alternative, you know? Yeah, and, I and think make with, the stuff you want to hear. Yeah, I think with Spotify and with, like, the internet, access to a plethora of types of artists who... Even Drake's most recent album, obviously there's some misogyny on there, but I listened through a lot of it, and it was, like, about his own personal trauma. And I was like, a lot of this stuff isn't... Um, wouldn't cross a line for me. Even Eminem, when I was growing up, seventh grade, the Eminem show was like a huge album. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a super violent song that he sings against his mom. Um, when I listened closely to the lyrics, even the young, analytical, sort of feminist mind that I had was like, I have empathy for this person because at least the way that he's talking about his mom is that this was someone who abandoned him mm-hmm. as a child. Mm. So he's actually acknowledging directly that his very problematic relationships with women and his disrespect, he can map it directly to being mistreated by a mother who mm-hmm. was a as a substance abuser. Mm-hmm. So there, there's this empathy there which we can at least cerebrally understand and connect with. It's not actually about um, a guy asserting himself to like create his own power over women, which is what a lot of this stuff is. Right. And then in terms of us enjoying um, that music, I mean, for me, I really, I really can't enjoy it. That's why I'm so passionate about what I do because yeah. it's so physically, it like physically hurts my stomach when I when I think about that stuff. Or like, I like I just get discouraged if I listen to that stuff. It's the opposite effects for me. How, so did even you songs always- that you like loved, like I don't know if like. You know, fourteen-year-old Kieran like got down to the thong song, but or like I don't know if there's what your version of that was. I really liked that song when I was younger. <laughs> but um, like, you, you, if if it does, it evokes nothing I in just, you now, I or think, you feel I just think they're what, they're always so, they're always so waiting much. for us to be like that. You know, the long forever feminist movements. The best and most effective way 
that the mainstream patriarchy brings them down is by saying you're a killjoy. Like mm. that was the old school phrase yeah. for the same thing that we're talking about right now, which is like that's my trivia team. Yeah, the feminist, the feminist killjoys. Kill yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you're killing my vibe, basically. You're but what not, if your you're, vibe is fucking patriarchal, misogynistic bullshit? I will fucking kill that. What do you mean? Well, if 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 someone's like you're killing my vibe because you're saying you can't listen to that shit. Then and that's you want okay to kill their vibe kill. if it's a no, yeah, I have zero problems killing so, that vibe. No, that's vibe. what I'm saying. So, so <laughs> that's, so, that's yeah. right, right. so the point that I'm trying to make though is that 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 shame though is enough to keep people participating in the patriarchy because that's such an easy way to make somebody kind of unsettled. And many people aren't empowered to say what you just said, which is, um, I have a hard line, and no, you can't turn up to the sound of somebody else's oppression. Yeah. Go turn up to something that doesn't have to oppress anybody. How did you find your voice in this? Like, do you feel like you've always had this analytical way of looking at things or like, where did this come from? It came from my desire to fix the problem instead of like leave conversations crying and disempowered. Mm. Um, I grew up in an all girls school. And so it was easy to feel very um, protected when it came to these issues because we all more or less agreed and understood. And had could share in those experiences. Totally. But then by the time I got to college, I remember my second year, my third year, my fourth year, I would oftentimes just find myself in the common rooms of the dorms just like getting into debates that I thought were so obvious. Um, and they weren't to people. And I would leave feeling like I was outnumbered or disempowered or that I didn't have the magic tools to be able to speak about these issues with calmness, kindness, logic, and love. You know how I was saying mm -hmm. before. And so it's finding your voice and your power in those. That's been the strategy is that if my intention is to make the world a better place, then leaving crying and pissed off doesn't achieve that. What does achieve that? Being brave enough to equip myself with the tools to have these conversations with love energy. Mm -hmm. And um, many people, including Michelle, she says this to me. She'll be like, um, I'm just glad you didn't choke me out. I was like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You know, she's like, well, I just thought you were like a militant feminist. I'm like, why did you? Why are you saying that? Why, why did you think that? You know, so, well, you know how feminists are. And it's like, I'll, I'll be like, where did this come from? Where do you have this? And she'll be like, no, no, nowhere, nowhere. It's good. You know, she was like, I, I knew that you were different in your strategy. And people do have a perception of what gender equality means. Mm -hmm. And it's important to be part of the change of, no, we're out here to actually liberate the men from their own... Um, forced social hierarchy yeah. and their own oppression. And inability yeah, to share their feelings yeah, I say and this emotions. Lot. Patriarchy sucks for everyone. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, everyone's it's a playing a role. And one of the ways you've combated that was to do free bleed while yeah. you were running a marathon. Like you're so good at sparking conversations, I feel. You maybe even, and, and it seems almost unintentionally with you like taking on the future as female as like your, you know, emblem or whatever that's having conversations about what that means. And then like in 2015, you ran the London Marathon and you were menstruating and that was a big deal, right? Like, that, like, let's talk about that. Like, that's, it's such an interesting concept that, like, something that more than half the world's population experiences. It's a big, that we, like, have to, like, it, this shouldn't have been a big deal. I'm glad that it was because it started a conversation, but it's, like, interesting that it's, like, wow, can you believe somebody would let the blood run down their leg? Like, <gasps> So well, walk I think, us through that day, because I, I don't know if our listeners necessarily remember. I yeah, mean, no, I will. I want to go back to one thing you just said, though, which was about um, what made me find my voice. And I think it was those years between like 2007 when I had just started going to school at Georgetown mm -hmm. through when I worked at Interscope, which is one of the biggest hip-hop labels in the world and perpetuates most of the mainstream misogyny that exists. Mm. And um, 
I knew that the only way that I would feel safe in these spaces was not to run away, but was to empower myself by reading books of people of, of our past generations who have dealt with the same issues over and over again, but explain things with logic and with reason and with patience and with love energy. Even when I went to Harvard Business School, I remember we watched 12 Angry Men as like a learning lesson, that movie. And it's about using a mixture of asking questions to those who you're trying to convince their mind or have a conversation with them and also providing information. And so I would say that my my journey, especially related to menstrual health and stigma and leading up until the marathon was a result of me having read and educated myself on the many dimensions of female oppression, one of them being menstrual stigma. And at the marathon start line, I had no intention of bleeding freely. I didn't think I was going to get my period on that day. I was hoping it would come the next day. But unfortunately, I felt it on that day. And I was caught off guard like many of us have been. And so I started evaluating my options. And I was like, um, a pad is no good. It causes chafing on a marathon course. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have a menstrual cup on me at the time. I didn't want to do like a toilet paper quick fix situation. Um, and then a tampon, I mean, I guess so, but I didn't want to run with like a half in, half out situation for four miles. I didn't know if the, the string would chafe me. I didn't want to run with like a second one in my hand. There's no privacy on a marathon course to change it out. Right. None of the options seemed good to me. And when I had trained for the year before my run, when it was my first marathon, I just skipped out on the three or four days of my period because it is uncomfortable um, to run. And also because I was a little bit afraid of my own period, which is part mm. of the internalized misogyny, like the lack of information that's out there to take care of us. Mm-hmm. Instead, they're just trying to give us birth control and drug us instead of like have some greens and drink some water and be peaceful, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's totally okay and respectable if you do want to take a break on those days when you're menstruating. Totally. In fact, it's like very encouraged. I'm part of this like women's self-health help, health collective. And we talk about, a lot of them are very into their cycles and daily trackers and temp all the time. And we like uh, look at our cervixes and do all this cool shit to, to, and some of them talk about how when they're on their moon days, they just stay inside and they take the time for themselves. And it's a really nice kind of forced vacation. Yeah, totally. I, I, it's interesting because when I thought, when you, I heard that, you were coming on the podcast and that you that you were that person who ran the marathon. I was like, oh, she must have like planned it. No. Like to like, I'm getting my period at this time and I'm gonna like show these people that it's okay to run, but it sounds like it just kinda happened. And no, you, and I like, think that made a decision. I think the sincerity of the run is what made it go viral. It was mm-hmm. so sincere. I was really just out there running, first of all, running just to build up my own self-esteem. You know, my run really was a personal journey for myself to do something that's really difficult to achieve and mm-hmm. to build up my own self-esteem in a place like Harvard Business School, which is like the breeding ground of the cap- the capitalist patriarchy. <laughs> when Oppression for Dales. So uh, for days. Yeah, and there's so, a lot of boys clubs there. Yeah, it's, it's a toxic environment. Um, but I was running for that reason. And so when this happened, I felt upset. I feel like, damn, is it even safe to run? Are you even supposed to be bleeding and like putting your body through that much distress? Um, mm. I've, I definitely had experienced like where I passed out in 2013 years before because I hadn't eaten that day. And I guess my blood sugar just went so low that I just fainted on my own period and it's never happened to me before. So I felt afraid. 
And I think that's part of the misogyny that's worth talking about too, is there's so, the taboo prevents us from accessing the education that we need about our own bodies. Right. That and things all they're like doing. periods and pregnancies are things we should be really afraid of. Yeah, exactly. Instead of just like beautiful, normal, lovely biological health information. And in fact, now there's a big movement to look at the period as the fifth vital sign. Like if you have a regular cycle that you're just like this beautiful, healthy um, woman, you know, and female identifying person, it's, it's dope. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um female or male identifying person, depending um, on your, yeah, how you were born. But I was going to say, I remember when I valued those options and didn't think any of them were good for me, I was kind of like, yo, what if I just ran bleeding freely? And that literally felt like the best option for me. I was like, I'd rather run bleeding freely than wearing any of these oppressive things to run a marathon. Like, I don't know what that would be like. Had you ever bled freely before? Um... Not that I can remember, not that I can remember, but I definitely felt inspired by my uh, by my own friend in Georgetown who used to paint with her period blood or by another um, feminist movement in uh, in Barcelona where they went to to uh, work in all white outfits and painted their cross red, you know, to reclaim the, the and, and counteract the stigma. And so I liked stuff like that. I thought it was cool, you know, I thought it was like, this is kind of cool. I wonder what would happen, but I'd rather run it this way than any other way. I mean, it has just become something that we hide, right? Like, I even remember taking pads or tampons for the first time and, like, hiding it in my sweater. For sure. Or, like, hide it in your shoe so, like, no one can see. And, like, these secret passings of it, like, it's this shameful secret. And I I remember I got it one time when I was at a a horse competition and it bled through on my pants. And I, like, it was so traumatic because I was like, someone is going to see and this is going to, like, ruin my horse riding career. And, like, I performed awfully. It was just, like... So traumatizing. Totally. And I just think it, it's so sad to me that the it's not the opposite. Like, I feel like our society should be like, whoa, women are so dope. People who bleed like are so dope. Like you're bleeding doing stuff. You're bleeding and like doing stuff. And that's kind of what I was stepping into. I was like, this is badass. And I was like, I'll definitely bleed freely because who's going to shame a marathoner of all types of people? You know, I was like, you can say whatever you want, but you're on the sidelines. Come run 26 miles and cross the finish line. Then we can <laughs> have bleeding. a talk while bleeding. <laughs> and I knew, I was like running from anywhere bleeding 26 miles is a punk rock move. You know, I was like, this feels cool. And I ran and I crossed the finish line successfully. I didn't stop running once. It was a great Did you marathon. notice feeling like more tired or? No, I felt so good. That was also part of the blog post that went viral. I was just like, this is cool. Like I wasn't expecting this. Like mother nature has my back. Like mm. I felt so good and it felt comfortable. Like it didn't feel like things were, um, bleeding or uncomfortable. It just felt normal. I was just wearing like dope ass tights and just running my ass off. And it was so fun. I was like jumping around, like laughing and playing cool music. And I was with my two friends. My dad and brother even came. Yeah, I love that photo of your dad and brother hugging you. Yeah. With your like period on your pants. And like that is what I want the future to look like. Yeah, totally. And And so when I crossed the finish line, I was like, I have to write about this, but I also have to write about the fact that this was a choice for me and that's a, that's rooted in privilege and that millions of women and girls around the world don't have that same privilege and that the taboo prevents us from not only accessing the products that we need to be on our own bodies, but it also prevents the funding from getting to people to be able to uh, pay for all these products. Mm-hmm. And so when I wrote this blog post... Um, I wasn't expecting it, but a friend of mine who works for Mike.com was like, we should republish this. This is really cool. And when they republished it on Mike.com in August of 2015, that's when the story went viral. I remember seeing it in Cosmo. That's true. And I was like, 
fuck, Kieran, you're in Cosmo. That's true. And I probably get Cosmo like once every two years when I'm like in an airport. And you were in it. And it was like fascinating. It was like it was like one of the women of the year. So I guess it was probably like a December. Or something. Yeah, it's true. It was. It was. It was crazy. And I think there's even um, does that. Inf- sorry, yeah. There's even thoughts of privilege like coming from the non-binary or trans community. Like I have lots of Very trans true. clients who are like, it, I would trade anything to be able to get a period. Mm. And they or like, to not have a period. Mm. I know a lot of people. Yeah, who, I'm thinking of gendered, trans women. Right, but I know. Trans men or non-binary folks right. who mm. don't are ex- their dysphoria is heavily triggered by their period, mm. right? And there's lots, there's different things that you can take to stop that from happening, um, but it's definitely, yeah, I think that can be triggering, but for lots of people, for sure. But I think it's. I'll tell you something also recently about my own journey with my period. Recently, this year alone, and it's fun because I haven't been able to talk about this yet. But this year, for some reason, and I get a very regular healthy period I the past couple years I've been eating super clean so I haven't had cramps but what does happen is I have like a really intense sadness every week right before my cycle like Madam Gandhi's a dumb name this project's not going anywhere I can't play the drums I don't know what I'm doing I'm terrible at speaking nobody wants to date me I just have all types of like thoughts like this pass through my head real like without even hesitation boom like right on that date 14th of the month they start like without fail, January, February, March, April, May, June. Now we're just finished July. It just happened. And now we're about to have August. And I cry and I cry and I cry. But it's so interesting because in my brain, I'm very intelligent. And so I have this out-of-body experience where I know that it's chemical. Mm-hmm. And I know not to believe it. And I know that I have to just coach myself through it and be loving to myself and actually say out loud, like, these things aren't true. This will pass. This will pass. <laughs> and it's it's so intense because now I'm in the joyful state of my cycle and I'm like super joyful. And in this particular moment, I'm a little sleep deprived, but emotionally I feel joyful. And I've been thinking, I'm like, I'm 29. And I bet if I went and saw a doctor, there would be all types of trying to diagnose me and give me this pill and that pill. But what about just the basic anatomical fact that the human female anatomy Mm -hmm. wants to procreate and wants to reproduce and does feel sad every time an egg is lost. And and does feel sad every time there's a period. Because actually, that's not what the body wants. The body wants to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking of it more like that. And, and accepting it. And I think the reason why many of us don't is because that gets used against us. It gets used against mm. us to be told that our only function is to procreate. Because that's women's function all around the world is we are oppressed and told our job is just to have babies and women are forced into child marriages for this exact reason because mm-hmm. when i hear that that sounds so punishing like oh you're not having a baby so you better be fucking sad totally no it's so because when you were talking about the sadness that preempts your your period i was thinking of it like that that i was like oh it's her body just being sad that being sad it's an egg that's going away totally which i remember I think crying is, one time because i couldn't pick what shirt to wear yeah that's what i was saying and very <laughs> like, few and things okay. trigger it and i think that i think that you're bringing up something really important that we talk about oh i have pms so bad or pmdd or like all of these different diagnoses that you know are for very real symptoms for a lot of people yeah and it doesn't have to be something shameful. Shameful. Totally. And also being sad doesn't have to be bad. Totally. And that's something that I really wrestle I love that. with a lot. That's cool. I never think of that. Sadness. Um, Nayira Wahid has a poem that goes, um, sadness is like the ocean, both cleanse you. Mm. And I think that's really 
I don't know. Maybe I'm probably paraphrasing a little bit. No, but there, that there's space for that. But I think feeling. there is space for that. I think that like having like your own ocean of tears is like going for a swim almost. That's really cool. And I, I think to experience sadness, then you experience joyfulness. For sure. And I, I wonder how we can, I think, reclaim feelings and having emotions around maybe our period or our ovulation cycle. Because I know that especially men have used that against us. Of course. Where they're like, oh, well, you're on your period. And it's like, well, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how do we like say well, this is it's f- okay to have feelings totally. around it, but also not have it be used against us? I feel like it's been, it's a real, um, what's the word? Uh, it's been a real sad disservice that's been done to us. Um, what's a better word for disservice? Like I want to say, like something that's been done uh, wrong. Like it's, we've been wronged basically with how little the human female reproductive cycle um, has been studied and taught. And I did go to an all-girls school, and I remember it's so funny because I really loved my science teacher so much. I learned the ovulation cycle very well, and we had to learn all the chemicals and everything, the hormones. And I found it very empowering because I knew, like, okay, this is what happens. The egg descends into the fallopian tube, then this um, estrogen gets released, and then that's what triggers the egg to be either a period or a baby. It's one or the other. Like I felt empowered with knowledge. But in later phase of my life, because that was just seventh grade bio, I feel that there's lack of information as to what's actually going on with the female body. Oh, for sure. And this prevents us from making appropriate decisions or it gets hokey where we don't know what to believe. Exactly. And And so many young people with vaginas are terrified when they get their first period. Of course. But not even more than just getting their first period. Like what you're saying is like a very real and serious problem about how um, issues with the female reproductive system uh, in general is completely understudied. There's this one woman, Jessica Pinn, who um, she had a uh, labioplasty when she was 18 and because she like thought she had to have like a Barbie clamshell vulva. And the doctor ended up taking... Um, parts of her labia and her clitoral hood without telling her. And basically he was like, oh, I didn't know those parts were important because there is no actual accurate uh, description of the neurovascular components of the clitoris, the full clitoris, in any anatomical textbook. That's so what medical dark. students are learning. And also That's things like, endo- there has never been an official study of endometriosis. Wow. Like the only cure for endo right now is birth control. But there's tons of stuff. But, but there has been a recent uptick in studying um, older women, older women's sexual appetite, mm. but only once we figured Viagra out. Mm. And so now that old men can get their dicks hard, we're curious about what's going on with their, with their heterosexual right. partners. So that they yeah. can fuck them. It's, yeah. it's this, it, it, it's it, it, it shows these really insidious ways that our knowledge is limited by this because knowledge is, by, knowledge by is system, power. By, that sounds like magic school bus. And it's but also it's about just not enough um, women and female identifying folks in in medical school. You mm-hmm. know, and it's good that you're going off to law school. It's good that I did business school, even though we're going to suffer through it. But like, <laughs> we have to exist in those spaces. In those spaces. Otherwise, the same stuff gets perpetuated. And I don't know if I can expect men to feel motivated to study something that they're not personally connected with, even though they've been given birth by their mothers and even though they you know, may have women as their partners. Um, I think it's on us to study our own body parts in a way that's accurate and honest to that us. That is why self-help collectives are so important. Yeah, Have you ever true. looked at your cervix? I have, yes. Yeah? Yes. Did you love it? <laughs> of course. It's so cool. <laughs> but wasn't it almost like, like, like a... Like uh, 
going scuba diving or something, something that uh, here, up until that moment you had no idea even existed back there. You'd heard about it, and this is what it was for me. Yeah. I had heard about it in textbooks and, and knew there was something back there, and I could kind of feel it. And one time a tampon got stuck like near it, so I felt it more. And I had like boyfriends who were like, oh, you just had a cervical orgasm, not knowing what the fuck they were talking about. Right. But then all of a sudden I like was sitting on the floor like with a speculum and a mirror, and I was like, wow. It's in a book and it's in me. Mm. I don't know. I find it so, I, I think that learning about ourselves is so important. Yeah, that's dope. And I think it's good that you did it for yourself. I think for me, it definitely came through partners and through sex with other people. Mm. And like my own reclamation and for my own comfort with my own body was definitely other people loving it and wanting it yeah. and me feeling hot in my own body. And there is something femme to me about that. Like there's something to me on the femme side of the spectrum to like, be turned on by the feeling of somebody else wanting me. Like, you know, they say the female gaze is actually women watching men watching women. <laughs> you know, like women watching men looking at themselves. Like, uh -huh. I think a lot of women get turned on by men looking at them. That's the thing that's turning them on, not the women laying the eyes on the men. And I don't, I, because I'm queer, because my partner is a woman, I don't know if it's part socialization or if there's something truly biological about it because mm -hmm. I definitely feel more turned on when I feel wanted than oh, I do sure. wanting somebody else for sure how how have all of these like thoughts and feelings around futures female and just I don't know all the things you're talking about now how has that maybe fit into your like sexuality and your sex life um well, I think one thing that's cool is that, you know, this new thing that I have with Michelle that makes me excited is that I've been really vulnerable from the get-go and it's painful a lot of times. Like it's mm -hmm. painful right now because I haven't talked to her and I feel uncomfortable about that scenario. And yeah, boxing. it's hard to sit with that negative. For sure, because I hold it. it in my stomach. But mm -hmm. you know what's cool about Michelle is like, even though it's been so short, every time we've had something like this, she really... Um, is delicate with my emotions and very thoughtful and doesn't like go anywhere and is very um, patient. And we're both patient with each other, I feel. And we both like want this to work. So then we're, we're willing to like do the work. And for me, the work looks like um, not being passive aggressive, speaking up like peacefully when I feel a type of way, um, not being impatient, you know, like being really patient with my love. Mm -hmm. um, and then... And then also like being vulnerable. Like when I was even just the most recent time this like crying thing happened, um, we were in Chicago and I was like, dude, like I just want to cry and cry and cry, but like I really don't want to scare you away, basically. I was like, I'm like holding it in right now because I definitely feel like it's too soon for me to be like sobbing in your arms right I now. I cried on two first dates. <laughs> just throwing that out there. That's amazing. And do you have second dates? Yeah. That's good. Then maybe people like are thirsty for that. I don't know. But Michelle's like jokes that she used to make to me in the very beginning was just like, I don't date criers. I mean, I guess she was being funny. <gasps> oh my God, that would terrify me. Of I'm course, like, what, but it everywhere. terrified me too. So you got to be okay with yeah, that. Yeah, it terrified <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, and so I remember being really slow with that and definitely like doing that on my own in the beginning first two mm. months. But the third month in July, we happened to be traveling together during that exact week that it was happening. So I couldn't really hide, you know, and she could feel it too. So I was like, I want to be vulnerable with you. And literally all I want to do is just like cry and like release this. And I feel like I don't want to push you away when I do that. And she was like, so beautiful about it. She's like, I'm here. 
I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Like, I'm here. Let's work through it together. Like, I'm here. She's like, go for it. And did you? <laughs> yeah, I did. Did it, it feel I better after? I wasn't able to do it entirely. Mm. But, like, it was interesting. Like, even just her saying it actually made me cry a little bit less. Like, it was kind of like this, like, leap of faith. Like, once and you she, gave yourself permission to cry, you totally, didn't have to cry as totally. much. Yeah. yeah. As opposed like to that. trying to hold it back. That makes sense. And then even this morning, like, in the, she had to get up every single day at 5.30. And so I'm so sensitive. Like, in the beginning, she just— she would just get up out of the bed and just go and maybe give me like a kiss or something to leave, but get out of the bed even just to like go start the day or get ready or whatever. And it's interesting. I didn't think this would affect me so much, but I definitely like this like feeling of like abandonment would like set in. Oh yeah. And I was like, I don't know how to bring this up because I'm literally older than you, but I still feel like a baby when it comes to this kind of thing. But she's so cool because every time I tell her something, she really does like take it to heart. And this morning was so nice. Like the way that, I felt like we got up out of the bed was just like with so much love energy and like so tender and um, just like she like really like held me for like a minute before we got out of the bed. And it and it's so profound because it, it, it like set this like really good energy on my whole day. It was profound. I was in the studio all day. I worked out. We're doing this podcast. I'd only had three hours of sleep, but I still felt energized. So I think for me, I'm in this phase where I'm really self-aware I'm really self-aware on the work that I need to do. I'm really self-aware on the things that are like chemical and biological Mm -hmm. that I can and can't help. I'm really self-aware about when I'm being shitty and what I have to work on. But I'm definitely in this phase where like I want to be brave with my love. Like I want to be brave and generous and patient with my love and not like this person doesn't fit X, Y, and Z box. Instead, I'd rather treat it almost like how my Indian family has to with their relationships, which were oftentimes arranged. Mm. And you're like, this is what you get. Make it work, you know? And- I don't think love is just like you fall in love with five seconds and then it's already yeah, marriage. It takes work. I think it takes work. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious. Go ahead. I'm curious about, so you just brought up your family. I'm curious about how your family feels. I don't know if you come from like a conservative Indian family or not, um, but you did bring up the topic of arranged marriage. So I'm curious about how your family reacts to uh, your vocal feminism, the fact that you went to Harvard Business School and now you're like, a musician, I mean, a successful one, but a musician, um, to your Queer. queerness, uh, to all of that. I think for me, I really love my parents so much. And so growing up, whatever weird shit that I was doing or whatever like off the grid thing that I felt like I was doing, whether it was playing drums or like, yeah, um, now more recently, like um, being more open with my queerness or like wanting to drum for MIA, all these different things. Or even doing the internship my senior year, not at the White House as my dad wanted me to do, but instead for the like local record label that Thievery Corporation was signed to. Like cool. every time I've done stuff like this, I've never, I've never isolated them. I've never fought with them. I've never said fuck off, fuck you, you don't get me, all this type of thing. Has there ever been reason to though? Where, because where that yeah, would have been your initial they response to they like fuck you because and you they, like came with my your dad, love energy. Because my dad was never very encar- like I don't think either of them were like music is what my kids need to be doing. You know, it was more like an extracurricular, like get me into a good school. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I feel like my strategy has always been how do I win them over? How do I show them that I have my shit together? Like even when I graduated from Georgetown, I was trying to get an internship to eventually get a job at a record label. And my dad was just like, what is going on right now? You know, he just couldn't take it. And I just had this sense of personal power. Like, I will get this job. And it's going to be really badass that I work at Universal Music Group because I know you recognize that name. And it's going to be really badass that I have like proper healthcare and a proper salary after school, which many Georgetown kids 
unless they're part of the very normal system of going to consulting or banking, mm-hmm. don't don't have that to yeah, say. Yeah, I didn't. Mm-hmm. It's because the system isn't designed for that. It's like, unless you play the game exactly as it is, it's not designed to help those who are some, somewhat free thinking. So I would say I've always given them love and I've always given them security that my wildness is not like uh, a drug doing wildness. It's a it's a pursuit of, of freedom and self-expression and that creativity. I deeply value and creativity and that I know what it feels like to be my best self and I'm I'm interested in that. And that really comes from my mom. My mom to this day, she doesn't ask us, are you successful? Are you this? Are you that? She doesn't boast, you know, about um, too many on the grid accol- accolades. She always asks us like, are you joyful? Are you happy? My mom's like that too. Yeah. Well, I tell my mom about somebody that I'm dating instead of being like, what's their job? That she'll be, he'll be like, she'll be like, they make you come. That's amazing. That's part your of your mom. My mom that? asks if I come after like I'm dating someone new, which means she is orgasm focused, not pleasure focused, but whatever. But we're working on. That's still come pretty on. great. <laughs> so it's like an that awesome cool? thing for a parent to have. That's ask. so badass. Yeah, and that's just gonna make you even more like be a parent like that for your own kids. Oh my God, I'm so excited for that. I mean, speaking of joy and success and all of that, I know you're working on a new project that's just coming out and we'd love to share that with our listeners. Pop that turn up. Yeah. We just put out Promote the first yourself. signal. No, that's so sweet. I I feel like my own journey to make music is so, it's like so slow and like Pisces and peaceful. What does like, that mean, Pisces? You keep on talking about how you're a Pisces. I mean, I know what Pisces is, but like... You're not a into the astrology so much. I just don't know much about it. I think for me, my Piscesness is... Because I think of fish and I'm like... Yeah, it is like that. But I think our my Piscesness is like... I'm not very pressed. Like I always grew up like around hella ambitious people. So I was ambitious in my own way because I was influenced by my, my environment and my dad who's a Taurus, like very go-getter, very on the earth. But I don't know. I feel like Pisces like... We're very content, which is actually part of our gift. We're not constantly on the hamster wheel seeking for something we don't have. In fact, one thing I've been writing a lot about and like feeling in my heart the past couple of weeks and months, maybe because I'm in this new romance, but also because I'm in a joyful phase of my life, I feel very content. I don't feel pressed to like wake up early and like grind and like get onto Fader and Billboard and like make hella extra money and all this shit. Like I don't. I don't want those things in my heart. I want to feel peaceful. I want to feel like I have time for yoga and boxing. And when I make music, I want it to be on my own time when I feel inspired, not because I feel like I have to, you know? And sometimes we feel bad about that. In fact, my own upbringing makes me question my own sense of contentment. Like, am I not ambitious? Is there something wrong here? But if you look at any Eastern teachings, any of them, Hinduism, Buddhism, the list goes on and on, it's all about the present moment. It's all about are you joyful in this moment? Because all we were we're only doing all this shit to eventually feel happy. We're only trying to make money and trying to buy a yacht and trying to be on Facebook and social media and flex on all these followers to feel happy. So mm-hmm. ironic. So if you can feel happy in this moment, you don't have to worry about pushing, pushing, pushing to a sense that it's um uncomfortable. So that's what I mean about Pisces about it. I feel like I really thrive when I'm surrounded by certain things that make me vibrate at my highest frequency. But I'd like to also think that I'm self-aware in being joyful of the moment instead of seeking to hella put out an album super quick. Mm. And one of the criticisms of Pisces is that we have hella dreams for days, but we don't have any of the tools to put them into place. And so... You've done a pretty good job at acquiring tools. Well, that's good. Thank you. I have to say, and not only like credential-wise with your, like, Harvard degree, and she was a double major in math and government. Like, (laughs) that's insane. Um, 
But I think that you're, I think that you have a very good job at picking what tools are good for you, which mm. is even better than just acquiring tools. Thank I feel you. like I'm like a hoarder of things. I'm like, oh, this is going to be good, and this will be good, and this will be good, and that. And then I'm like, what do I do now? But I feel like you're very deliberate. Well, that's good. I, I mean, I feel like all of your tools that you've acquired, they'll always be useful no matter what. They'll always come out. They will be helpful. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I am working on my, I am working on my album today. I was in the studio writing a song called Waiting For Me, which I have a line in there that I'm excited about, which is like, um, I won't take in what they feed us, run away in my Adidas. Brown girls of the world, they need us. Truth is love and love will free us. You know, it's like this idea about um, valuing what it is that we can actually offer to the patriarchy to contribute to its downfall, not to be mm-hmm. angry or radical in return, but actually to say, don't feed us Doritos and birth control and then advertise on Cosmo that we have to lose weight by taking these fat loss pills. Like the whole thing is just so twisted, you know? Yeah. And ironically, I use the word Adidas sort of just to be to be tongue in cheek about it. You, know? you love Adidas a, though. <laughs> you love Adidas. <laughs> I love Adidas because I do think that they are, at least in the capitalist system, but using using it um to promote multidimensionality, but I don't. I don't know enough about their ethical practices from a capitalist standpoint. Like, yeah, what, 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 I'm sure there's there's blood on somebody's. Oh, hand. definitely there is. They had a huge thing a few years ago, and they came under a lot of fire because uh, they were actually, I think, at, at Georgetown because they were manufacturing um, Georgetown uh, basketball uniforms or just regular sports uniforms. And then it came out that there was all this like shit going down in their sweatshops, and so all these universities, like Georgetown. Uh, said we're not going to partner with them anymore, and then I think they, I think they've changed their practices since. I should follow up on that, but there was something about that. But I that's think one good thing that's happening now. now with the environment, like activism in general. It's just I talk a lot about like in this fourth wave of feminism. One of the most profound things that's happened has been the internet because we've been able to map, you know, the online world into the offline world, into the streets basically. And the women's march was the largest single day march in the history of the whole planet hmm. because we moved from the streets to the to the sorry from the online to the streets mm-hmm. and so i think that's allowing for more transparency and more activism at a rate that really we haven't ever seen before as a as a planet and you're contributing fully to it i'm sure you all too this conversation our, has been joyful i'm sure all of our listeners want to find out all of the cool awesome radical work that you're up to so how can they find you on on the internet to then go to the streets i love posting on my instagram because it's um the most like alive and well. And um, it's, you can put the most yellow. And I, it's where I can put the most yellow and it's <laughs> at Madam Gandhi. And we just put out a song called Top Not Turn Up, which is about putting your hair up in a bun and like getting your work done. Um, Nicoletta is in full Top Not Turn Up right now. Yeah, that's No dope. bra though, which I can also get work done. That's ideal. That's <laughs> not, an not ideal physical scenario. labor though. <laughs> so, and then, um, and then, we're going to put out another song called Bad Habits. And then I might put out this third song that I worked on today called Waiting For Me. And then my goal was to put out a, either an EP or an LP by the end of the year, just like to kind of framework this body of work that I've been working on. Um, I said work three times in a row. That's how sleep deprived I am. No, that's how much you're working. <laughs> well, we're super grateful that you took the time to share all the stuff that's going on for you right now. And again, if you want to find us, you can follow us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, and send us your questions and wonderings at slutsandscholars at gmail.com. And actually that for mine too, like I like that you just said send us your questions because it is important. Like it's cool that you're allowing people to engage. You know, same for me if anyone listens to this and there's anything you guys want you all want to bring up, I think at Madam Gandhi on Twitter 
or DM. I try even after my shows to check my DM that if there's something that I said that made somebody uncomfortable, I can learn from it. Um, so that's cool that you said that. Yeah, we, we've been really fortunate in that we've had listeners uh, share really personal stories and uh, how the podcast has affected them or just kind of what brought them to this moment and suggestions And we love it. Keep sharing. We love it so much. So we really, we do mean that when we say send us your emails. So I'm glad that you picked up on that. Hell yeah. Oh, Karen, this was great. This is awesome. Thank you both so, so much. It was thank a really, you. really like rich conversation and I got to share a lot of things that I haven't shared um, on the air before. So thank Whoa, you. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. We're so you were lucky. wonderful. Got the exclusive Gandhi scoop. Woo!